It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome once again to The Two Jacks, our combo version. We're at uh, episode 36 where we look at matters around Australia and then go around the world and see what's happening there. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? G'day. You've uh, you've got over your COVID. I have. And you've had a little bit of a heart procedure, a little bit of a tinker of the uh, the love muscle. I have. I have. In the catheter lab. I don't know whether you've ever been inside a catheter lab, but um, it's quite a performance. Um, it's a couple of cardiologists plus an anaesthetist plus about three or four um, uh, theatre nurses. And then over in the corner behind the glass, or just to the side behind the glass, it looks a bit like the old Houston Space Centre um, with uh, rows of people on computers, except they're not wearing the, uh, <coughs> the short sleeve drip-dry uh, white shirt with a, with a skinny tie. They're in, um, in proper hospital gear. Um, uh, so it's, a, it's quite a performance. Uh, get, get yeah, it's, it's actually wonderful to see. I just saw a similar procedure a number of years ago. And what I what I admired about it was the level of teamwork between doctors yep. and nurses. Yep. It's quite extraordinary to see um, uh, and uh, very complex uh, uh, and procedures. Partly, ro- partly robotic these days as well. So yeah. That's all, yeah. But I have got a scratchy throat, must apologise to the listeners, and that's because they whack a tube down there to put a little TV camera in near your esophagus so they can photograph the heart from the other end. While oh, doing. right. So it's not just an intubation, it's actually a, a little camera yeah. popping down popping down into the chest cavity there to have a yeah. look around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, it's good to see you're back and uh, in the vertical, mate, every day. That you're in the vertical rather than horizontal is a good day. Yeah, um, a, a mate of mine um, uh, said this to me um, after I had a, a rough time in hospital with a hospital infection. He says, mate, from here on in, you're playing extra time. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So we, last week uh, we uh, we had just as breaking news uh, that the ICAC had handed down its findings into Gladys Berejiklian and her lover at the time, Dazza, uh, and um, uh, it uh, those findings were that Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier of New South Wales at the time, and during her period as Treasurer, was found to have engaged in serious corrupt conduct, but no criminal charges or no referral would be made to the DPP. So she's been found to be corrupt, but there are no criminal charges. Now, Jack, you and I have very different opinions on this, um, <clears throat> but you lead off. Uh, you well, lead off on, on why you think this is uh, another, and these are your words, perhaps I'm putting words into your mouth, that this is uh, overreached by the uh, New South Wales uh, ICAC Independent yeah, I'm, Commissioning I'm Corruption. I'm comfortable with that. Geoffrey <clears throat> um, Watson, who used to um, be a commissioner at ICAC, addressed this in the Sydney Morning Herald, and he, and he put it this way. Some will remain f- confused as to why, if Berejiklian's conduct 
warranted a finding of serious corrupt conduct. There was no referral of her conduct to the DPP. This simply reflects the difference between the statutory definition of corrupt conduct and specific criminal acts. The statutory definition of corrupt conduct, this is under the ICAC Act, yes. um, embraces a wide range of conduct which might not be criminal. Mm-hmm. Failure to reveal conflicts of interest is one, pork barrelling is another. On the ICAC's finding, Berejiklian's conduct fell well short of a proper discharge of her public duties, but it was not criminal. And to me, that's the problem in the essence, is that the definition of corruption in the ICAC Act is just incorrect. Um, it should be restricted to, um, you know, old-fashioned corruption, where you are getting a direct benefit yourself, picking up bags of cash, that sort of stuff. Um, uh, it shouldn't be um, uh, going into what I consider are political matters like pork barrelling, um, because the po- political system deals with that. Well, I have to disagree with you there because you, we had an undisclosed intimate or sexual relationship between the then Treasurer, who would go on to become Premier, and one of her backbenchers. So she didn't disclose that relationship, as far as we know, to any of her political colleagues and none in the executive, you know, the Cabinet of New South Wales, were none the wiser as to why this was the case. And further, that there were a number of funding decisions made about uh, uh, the, 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 the man in which she was having a relationship with in, in his uh, electorate of Wagga Wagga. Uh, a bit of pork, pork barrelling, we call that. Well, yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 the measures for which the spending was done was really just, dis- you know, the... Any sort of review conducted by the bureaucracy said that this money should not have been spent, but it was spent because uh, Daryl insisted he was the boss of that relationship, and in fact Gladys said that in in dis- in disclosed conversations with him that she that she would be throwing money at Wagga Wagga, and what I'm saying to you, Jack, is that there is simply no way that relationship. Uh, uh, would have been disclosed in the normal uh, political fray. But because that's a, politi- that's a, that's a political I mean, it couldn't, have been, it couldn't have been investigated by the parliament because she had not disclosed it even to her closest colleagues. Yeah, and, and that's ground, like, like the Scott Morrison problem in the federal parliament, um, not telling what you, you, your colleagues what you were doing is grounds for political regna- resignation, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not corruption. Well, not by any rational use of the word. Well, let's look at the um, uh, let, let's look at the definitions under the ICAC Act. Corrupt conduct is this is uh, section eight of the ICAC Act. Corrupt conduct is any conduct of any person, whether or not a public official, that adversely affects or that could adversely adversely affect either directly or indirectly the honest or impartial exercise of official functions by any public official, uh, any group or body of public officials or any public authority, any conduct of a public official that constitutes or involves the dishonest or partial exercise of any of his or her official functions, any conduct of a public official or former public official that constitutes or involves a breach of public trust, any conduct of a public official or former public official that involves a misuse of information or material that he or she has acquired in the course of his or her official functions, 
whether or not his or her benefit uh, or the benefit of any other person. What we're talking about there is that someone who perhaps was a minister may come away uh, with confidential information and use that in a commercial sense. Corrupt conduct is also any conduct of any person, whether or not a public official, that adversely affects or that could adversely affect either directly or indirectly the exercise of official functions by any public official, any group or body of public officials. Official misconduct, uh, uh, well, involves the following matters and there's a long list of crimes including uh, all the way up to murder from um, bribery, blackmail, uh, tax evasion, revenue evasion, uh, currency violations, etc., harbouring criminals, forgery. Corrupt conduct is also any conduct of any person that impairs or that could impair public confidence in public administration. Uh, and that involves things like collusive tendering, fraud in relation to applications for licences, dishonestly obtaining or assisting in obtaining or dishonestly benefiting from the payment or application of public funds for private advantage, defrauding the public revenue, fraudulently obtaining or retaining employment or, appoint, or appointment as a public official. It goes on. Uh, the limitations on the nature of corrupt conduct is uh, despite Section 8, conduct does not amount to corrupt conduct unless it could constitute or involve a criminal or offence or a disciplinary offence or reasonable grounds for dismissing, dispensing with the services of or otherwise terminating the services of a public official or in the case of a conduct of a Minister of the Crown or a member of a House of Parliament, a substantial breach of an applicable code of conduct, which he most certainly did, Jack. In that, just in in that uh, in that last bit, um, she had breached um, the the government of the day's um, uh, ministerial code of conduct, um, the, and that shouldn't be an ICAC, by the way, the ministerial code of conduct. That's a political matter and should be in the hands of the cabinet. Um, and well, the it's party, it's, and the it's, it's saying that the act says that that yeah. it, that, it, that if governments uh, have codes of conduct for their parliamentarians and for their ministers. If it constitutes a breach of that, then it's something that the ICAC yeah. can have. And, and what I'm saying is it shouldn't be in there. That definition of corrupt conduct is way too wide. Um, there needs to be a distinction between two different bodies of people, civil servants on the one hand and politicians on the other. Politicians, uh, uh, um, the, the problems that they are describing when they happen with politicians have a political solution. An imperfect solution, but a political solution. Well, it wasn't a solution at all in the, in the case of Berejiklian. She, <coughs> she failed to disclose an intimate relationship that she held with an MP. She failed to disclose it to her colleagues. Well, and she was well, making look, if, if funding gonna decisions for, gonna in relation for, to this fellow that the Cabinet had no knowledge of. So they were, were not, in a, not in a position to act. Uh, they did not know that she was in a sexual relationship that she subsequently lied about um, and, and she, she lied about terminating that relationship and continued rolling on with it. And, and she's being cast as this kind of, you know, poor old thing that was a bit, you know, a bit of a spinster and, and, and had this had this guy, you know, Dazza, come, on, uh, uh, come to the party and give her a bit of loving and she's, you know, she's been a, a good woman maligned by a bad man. And I just don't buy any of that. Well, I'm not casting her as that. I'm casting her as someone who made very, very serious errors of judgment. 
I'm glad <coughs> to hear you say that. And um, uh, and and it probably should have cost her a job as pre- as premier, but it's not corruption. She did, of course, resign, uh, and that um, uh, and, and that was a voluntary step that she took. Um, and there was considerable um, uh, call at the time. Why is she doing this? Because of the ICAC, because because of an ICAC investigation. But she'd already at this stage made a number of undertakings to the ICAC that she had did not support in her conduct subsequently. Um, so she had no. You, you, you and I agree that that she probably there would be no. Um, criminal matter that she would have to answer, perhaps corruption in public office, yeah, um, but, but that would mis- be a very, very difficult prosecution. It, it's called misconduct in public office, and it's the thing they charge you with when they can't find you committed a crime. Yeah, but, and, but and, and I would say that that would be a terribly difficult prosecution to make. Yeah. Um, uh, there is also shredding of a, a number of documents uh, that occurred in her office around funding allocations that she had basically signed off on. And not, I'm not suggesting for a moment that all the money went to Wagga Wagga, but the, this was just straight out. And it's not I, I fully accept that it's not criminal conduct, but it is pork barrelling of the worst kind. And, um, and pork, don't we need less of that? Pork barrelling is not corruption. No, no I, I, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. But pork barrelling... Pork barrelling really needs to end because you know there there need to be penalties attached to it when it is discovered. Um, <clears throat> oh, gee, that's a bit hard because you know one person's pork barrelling is another person's um, uh, very clever um, uh, use of public funds. Yeah, what 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 it, what it does, Jack, is, is and, and I know you are aware of this, but let's just for our listeners, for the benefit of our listeners, let's say wherever that means that all the money is essentially going to go to, depending on the political circumstance, they're going to go to marginal seats. And if a government looks like it's going to cop a hiding, then the, the majority of those marginal seats will be the ones that they hold. Uh, if they're looking to perhaps expand uh, their numbers in the parliament, then it would go the other way, where they will pork barrel into let's say, from a Liberal government, pork barrel into Labor-held electorates. It can uh, be much more can be, that. Can be, so can if be you're not living in a marginal electorate, you, you're not receiving the, the sort of same services and facilities, and it might be as simple as a new set of cricket nets or a, or a toilet uh, or a toilet around a soccer ground so uh, girls can get changed, uh, <laughs> you know, without having to do it in their cars. I mean, this is some of the things that came up in, in regard to the uh, sports rorts affair, which is a federal matter, um, that, you know, you had communities applying for funds and not receiving them because they were in the wrong <laughs> in, in the wrong part of the electoral map. This is like Ros Kelly and the whiteboard, is it? Um, that wasn't corruption. It was grubby politics and it was punished accordingly. And that's what should have happened with Gladys Berejiklian. Grubby politics punished accordingly. My favourite stories of Paul Barrow. Uh, uh, yeah, the thing you're missing this on this, Jack, is that without the ICAC's engagement, Berejiklian's relationship would not have been known. Not by her colleagues, not by anyone in the parliament, not by anyone in the New South Wales government. But that's oh, sorry, not a problem. In the, in the, that's not know, a problem no, for no, ICAC no to fix. No one in, the, in, in, in New South Wales. That's that's not a problem for ICAC to fix. 
ICAC shouldn't be interfering in the bedrooms of politicians. What I'm saying so, is so, so without, so without the engagement of ICAC, it would not have become known. Yeah, and I'm saying to you quite clearly that that is not a problem that ICAC should be there to fix. Well, then who does fix it? Because no, well, perhaps, perhaps at that no, stage you had, you had an undisclosed it. relationship that had at least prima facie evidence that was receiving funding beyond uh, neighbouring electorates. Time will disclose these things, as it did with Scott Morrison. Time's not good enough, mate, because these offences are occurring at the time. This scandal was occurring, uh, had had been occurring for a while, and it was without the ICAC, it would not have been disclosed. It would never have been known. That that doesn't make the ICAC the body that should be doing this at all. Well, who else does it? Because the uh, Parliament perhaps, could not have, the executive perhaps, perhaps could not have. Perhaps nobody does it, Jack. Perhaps nobody does it. Perhaps nobody does it. Be, because that's better than having a, a body like ICAC interfering in this way. Interfering in, in what way? I mean, uh, basically, interf- interfering tap, in, a, in, a, in, in, a, in a tumultuous sexual relationship. What, 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 what are we talking about here? That they have no role in this? <laughs> no, basically, she had failed to disclose. She had breached her breached her own party's ministerial code of conduct as the treasurer of New South Wales. Well, that's and none of that would have been disclosed, or it, had it been disclosed, it would have been years and years afterwards. With her putting up with her putting up routine denials. Can I answer that? Yeah, go on. Um, firstly. Whether she's or not she's breached the ministerial code of conduct is a matter for the party and the cabinet, not for an outside body. Um, and, and, and the I'm fact saying that it, it would is, not have been disclosed, it would not have been understood, it would not have not have been known. And and, the, and lots of things are not understood or known in the world, um, and we don't set up special bodies like ICAC to investigate them. All right. Well, we've got the National Australian. Uh, sorry, the National Anti-Corruption uh, 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 Commission, uh, which came into being three days ago. We're recording on the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, everyone, particularly in the States. Um, and Paul Brereton uh, is the is the chair of the NAWC, or he is the commissioner, I should say, and he's made a number of comments today. Jack, we just want to go into them. He said, it is important to appreciate that mere mistakes and even negligent maladministration are not in themselves corruption. We cannot resolve disputes nor review decisions. And he said on the uh, body's focus, the NACC's focus, we will more likely be interested in investigating matters that have current practical relevance rather than those that are historic uh, and he said he, the targets of the anti-commission, the federal anti-commission, anti-corruption commission, I should say, much of the public debate has been concerned with parliamentarians, but the commission will also be concerned with corrupt conduct involving public servants, individuals engaged in assisting Commonwealth agencies, consultants and contracted service providers under Commonwealth contracts. In regard to degrees of corruption, he said, if as a result of corruption investigation we are satisfied there has been corrupt conduct, we will issue a report with a finding to that effect. But it is important to recognise that conduct can be corrupt without being criminal, Jack, and that we do not make findings of criminal guilt 
to which different rules of evidence and proof apply. If there is evidence of criminal conduct, we may refer it to a prosecuting agency. Uh, he also mentioned, and this is perhaps uh, uh, perhaps most important, he, he also cautioned both sides uh, of the political divide, uh, should it be sought to weaponise the Commission throughout, through inappropriate or unfounded referrals, I will not hesitate to use the power to make public statements, if necessary, to avoid unfair damage to reputations and to say that the referral was inappropriate. I'm glad he just you goes on to say, just very briefly, I have been appointed for a fixed term of five years without any possibility of reappointment. It cannot be dismissed except for proved misbehaviour or incompetence, and I cannot be reappointed. Sorry, Jack, go on. Yeah, I'm glad you gave him an exemption on the use of weaponisation. Yes, um, <laughs> it is the uh, buzz term. Go yeah, on. Well, we just have to see how that one pans out. I, you know, you know, we, I know we have different views about this. I think the New South Wales ICAC needs to be torn down and started again, but, you know, you don't. That's fine. Uh, look. When I, you know, when I do look at the definitions of corruption, I see a lot of grey areas there. I do, absolutely. My point is, and I think uh, it, it's the same one made by the uh, by Paul Brereton, is that corrupt conduct doesn't necessarily mean criminal conduct. And I think no, but it need... does mean corrupt conduct. It doesn't mean poor judgment or grubby politics. Yeah, yeah but corruption itself may not necessarily mean criminal conduct, may not um, uh, any breaches of criminal law, but it's still corruption and and this sort of stuff. I mean, I I'm, I think we've had a sort of lazy view of things, and I'm not sort of talking about the ICAC now, I'm talking more about the federal sphere that we've always thought that, you know, our politicians were great, but they weren't corrupt. We're not, you know, Western Africa, we're not um, um, Central America. Uh, and that, uh, generally speaking, our politicians were, were, were pretty much clean skins. I'm seeing a bit of evidence, Jack, um, uh, arising from the previous government that tells us that that's that all is not all that well uh, in the political sphere and around the parliament. And I won't mention any specifics there, but there are, of course, uh, a former minister who I would think would be fruit for the sideboard of the NAWC. Uh, and possibly uh, a uh, member of parliament of long standing. Well, let's um, let's let let that play out and don't indulge in premature adjudication. But um, uh, if you, here, here's two examples for you. Two of my favourite examples of pork barrelling. <coughs> one involves a road, and one involves a railway. Um, uh, in in Queensland, Russ Hins was the the colossus of roads. He was known as, um, um, and uh, and he diverted the highway, the main highway from the Gold Coast to Brisbane. Um, just about through his son's bottle shop. Yeah, he went to the bottle shop, that's yeah. right. Um, and, and the other one's a Victorian one and an ancient one when they were building the railway to Bendigo. Um, uh, it takes a quite a significant diversion uh, and there's a little um, uh, station at a place called Clarkfield, which was adjacent to the uh, uh, family property of Sir Rupert Clark, the, the first Sir Rupert Clark. <coughs> now, that's just grubby politics and it's pork barrelling, <clears throat> but it does lay open the possibility of corruption because there was a benefit to be gained from the people who were organising this. Yes. <clears throat> and without that benefit, it's just not corruption. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I see where you come from. We'll perhaps move on because we're not going to agree on this at all, mm. but um, I maintain that without the ICAC's involvement, 
we would never have known. Probably Gladys Berejiklian may still be Premier of New South Wales, Jack, and we would not have known, and and her colleagues would not have known, and the Parliament would not have known, that she and her lover were organising funding for her lover's uh, um, electorate that was, when we look at it, a bit beyond the pale. Uh, now, she hasn't, she, I'll just wrap this up by saying she hasn't indicated as yet that she's going, well, I, I think there was a, a verbal indication that she might uh, seek to uh, appeal uh, the findings and that would occur in the Supreme Court of New South Wales. Um, but as yet, nothing's come forward. And Moving here's my, on, here's, Jack. And here's my tip, that Gladys, don't do it. Your reputation can survive um, a finding by this ICAC. Um, well, in terms of surviving, um, um, she'll continue on in her corporate job. I believe she still is. The, you know, <coughs> I mean, Optus came out and said that they supported her. Um, uh, I would say that her chances of winning the appeal would be pretty remote on on the report that I've read. It's it's very very seriously documented the nature of that relationship. Um, <coughs> so anyway, we shall move on. Uh, and we'll be keeping a very close eye on the NACC and wonder what its first case might be and how they handle it. Um, Jack, something you wanted to bring up, uh, The Insiders, a program that I feature on occasionally uh, with uh, the wonderful Mike Bowers in Talking Picks, copying a lot of criticism from the left on what the hulking, smouldering remains of Twitter are. Uh, Our listeners would have known that that Twitter is basically in almost terminal decline. Um, People who don't have blue ticks won't be able to access various software, all this sort of nonsense. When I went to my tweet deck yesterday, it wasn't working. Anyway, Twitter and the insiders, and you've just got to watch the program or or get on Twitter while while it's running. And uh, just to uh, quote uh, a, a, um, a, a fellow who's a kind of prominent left-wing voice, don't even think we need to know his name, uh, he said, wow, just watched hashtag insiders for first time in a while. It's hard to accept how partisan it is and try hard for the LNP. It can't be redeemed. It's had a run for 22 years. Time to say goodbye at ABC News, it's almost as though they're too afraid of presenting the facts or anything to offend the LNP or the LNP audience, even though they're in terminal decline, hard to understand. And this guy, it must be said, if he's not working for the Labor Party um, uh, on social media, he probably should be receiving a quid. Um, <clears throat> Look, uh, immediately someone came out um, uh, and pointed out that he commented on the insiders the previous week. So his, his story about <laughs> not having not having watched it for a while was this, a bit of a knowing this, yeah, yeah, Knowing this guy, I thought, I thought, I thought it was a bit odd that he was, oh, but, just, you it, know, it, I, I haven't watched it for years. And here's my first view, and I'm just appalled. Um, uh, Look, the first thing I'd say about it is I I, I know a lot of the people involved in the program, uh, and, of course, they have a a host of... uh, of journalists on board, and that's basically the, the you know the forum for the program, uh, and uh, and they should have um, uh, journalists from both sides of the divide. 
and they should be holding the government to account. All political journalism should be the government of the day. They should also be looking at the opposition as well. I mean, no one gets a free ride. But I just find it hard to understand. I mean, and this is the same thing. You know, I mean, we're talking about the political divide. Uh, that once a Labor Party is in is in power and and the left are happy, then that doesn't mean that they get no scrutiny as they go on. Um, and and those things are just natural and normal. Yes. I, 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 to be honest, <laughs> I'm a little bit like our mate on Twitter here. I haven't seen the program. I didn't watch myself the last time I was there. I had other things to do. Um, but um, uh, I, 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 I'm not a frequent watcher myself. Um, and you might watch it a little bit more than I, Jack. Has it gone mad, right-wing, crazy? Uh, I don't watch it very often. I, well, it used to be compulsory um, viewing, not just for me, but um, for a whole bunch of my mates here in Hong Kong. And we yeah, it was, uh, yeah. yeah and same here. Their numbers were huge, you know, they, yeah. they, at, at one point. They were getting almost a million viewers on a Sunday morning, which is almost unheard of. Yeah, and it used to be replayed like late Sunday morning, yeah. early Sunday yeah, afternoon well, here in, in Hong yeah. Kong. And... Um, uh, uh, when we were all a bit younger and fitter, we used to uh, uh, convene um, at the Globe in Graham Street, highly recommended, um, and have a couple of um, uh, uh, sparkling ales and uh, and discuss what was on it. Um, but everyone's given up on that a long time ago. It's because it's dull, um, uh, largely, um, uh, because it's four journalists generally agreeing with each other. Well, they do tend to get a bit of a mix in there. Um, look, there's something that I don't like about panel shows generally. Um, um, panel shows, uh, and I've been a member of them before I decided to knock it on the head, um, uh, you're given a bit of a heads up on what you're going to be chatting about. You become a, an instant expert. The, the producers will send you out uh, some, some internet links and things like that um, and... Uh, and, and then, you know, you basically present on television as something of an expert. And um, a lot of the journalists in Canberra, the press gallery, they may be expert in certain things, Jack, but they're not all that expert in the broad, in, in understanding the broader Australian community, in my view. Or the broader Australian political context in that sense. Yeah, yeah, well, that's probably the better way of putting it, yeah. And, but, but the dull thing is, unlike us, they don't have a Barney. <laughs> you've got to have some conflict. I mean, anyone in the television business will tell you you've got to have some conflict, and we'll get well, stuck into that right now, Jack. Well, because that, that, that sort of comes naturally to us. So yeah, we'll, I know. We'll, we can't help it. Well, I can't help myself. I don't know about you. Um, Brett Sutton, Victoria of the Year, Jack. Good choice. I think it's a fabulous appointment. Um, he, he, should, he, he should get as much publicity as possible uh, and should be laughed at until he dies. Brett Sutton, he did actually say, to, to his considerable credit, he said, do I actually have to accept this award? Do I? He, he wasn't obviously all that comfortable with it and he acknowledged there that there would be concerns raised by people uh, in Victoria. Um, it, it's not a government decision uh, and it's not part of the um, uh, broader Australia of the Year, Australian of the Year uh, network. Uh, this is a, an independent group that announced their Victorian of the Year. Previous winners have been Kevin Sheedy. A lot of sports people there. Kevin Sheedy, yeah. I think, was one of them. It's, um, it's, it's not quite as funny as Bob Hawke being named Father of the Year in Australia um, uh, when he was Prime Minister. Um, with inside his own family, that was considered a great laugh. But Sutton did 
what he's supposed to do, Jack. He's supposed to advise governments on, on basically, well, the, the Victorian state government, on an unfolding situation that in its early days was particularly bleak as well. Now, you and I would agree on certain things about pandemic management and that one of those would be that the Victorian lockdown went on way too long and had as a um, uh, a, uh, a benchmark the, you know, zero community uh, infections, which, you know, which is straight out overkill and it extended a lockdown uh, uh, probably longer than, uh, definitely longer than it needed to go. I noticed too that Victoria leads the charge at the moment in terms of liquidations of businesses. So those are some some of the consequences we have from extending that lockdown perhaps oh, longer than it should be. But that's not Sutton's fault because the, in the end, the buck stops with, with Dan Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Look, look I, I agree. The politicians were the people who really failed. His advice was just lousy. Things like closing kids' playgrounds, stopping people from playing golf and tennis, um, uh, the six, the, the five kilometre limit, stuff. all that sort yeah. of stuff was just bollocks. There was some silly stuff. We, we also talk about um, uh, the Victoria, the Victorians, and no, I don't think this was a Sutton thing. I think it was more of Vic Pole. This is the way we'd like to do it. Um, uh, that there were essentially, basically, people couldn't move outside of their homes from I think ten o'clock at night till uh, till till um, uh, the early hours of the morning. Uh, yeah. All those. Well, we, we had the same problem here that they used to close the restaurants and bars at six because that little virus can tell the time. You know. Yeah. Look, I mean, we were talking about this last week, and 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 I got a I got a bit cranky because the. the the, the issue oh, of I hardly, the, I hardly noticed the revisionism of, of uh, when you talk about when we go back to 2020 there were no vaccines we had an unfolding situation and, and I don't know if you remember but no one was quite sure if this would affect children as badly as your and influence on very young children as, as, as badly as influencers tend to um, we weren't quite sure about um, uh, transmissibility all these sorts of things. So, you know, I could see um, uh, how lockdowns became necessary and then I could see how they could be necessary when there was an explosion of transmissions, as we had in New South Wales for, for a while there, and, and a poor, 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 poor bugger who managed to uh, chauffeur uh, flight crews around the time became the worst person in New South Wales, a poor fellow. Should never have been that way. Um, uh, <clears throat> and and then we saw some lockdowns of a certain type around a certain area. That was one of Gladys's genius options. So the inner west of Sydney was essentially shut down, while the eastern suburbs were not. Um, but I could see the benefits in lockdowns until we reached that vaccination rate, and then we had to all let it rip. We did have to let it rip uh, beyond that point. So... You know, we can talk about the consequences of that. You can't not have consequences around a pandemic. Um, but one thing you did say last week is that excess deaths were a good guide, and I think you're probably taking the piss. But excess deaths, you know, it's it's a very flawed means of, of looking at this. But the simple fact that I've done the work on this, I've done, I've looked at the data. Excess deaths, uh, the lowest in the OECD is Norway, followed by Denmark. And then Sweden comes third. So the two, the two, the two, uh, the, the two leaders in terms of uh, uh, the, the smallest number of excess deaths now um, 
uh, 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 two countries that had lockdowns. So there's no correlation between lockdowns and excess deaths. We, we certainly cannot say that at all. And also when we look at Sweden, what happened there, and we're talking about COVID deaths up till 2023, the first quarter of 2023, they were running at around about 2,200 per million. And in Australia, it was about 700. So a third a third, we could, we could, if we wanted to extrapolate, and that's unfair, but if we want to extrapolate the Australian figures on the Swedish things and talk about uh, not having lockdowns, what we might have seen, we've got more um, density, more population density in our cities, so it might have been a little bit more fraught, um, uh, and we would have seen another 30,000 people die. Mm. Had we um, not I, had I, lockdowns, I, that's, I, I not a, that's not a—it's not a rough conclusion to draw. I'm uninterested in going through the weeds with this yet again this week. Um, I would say this: um, if we were doing it all again, I think what we would do is protect the vulnerable and let it rip pretty much um, everywhere else. If knowing what we know now, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, we can look in the rearview mirror. Yep. But the simple fact of the matter is that that people like Brett Sutton were confronted with with. Um, uh, a large body of, of of unknown about the pandemic. And so uh, lockdowns and these kinds of um, uh, uh, methods to reduce transmission were effective, I think, overall. I think a lot of it was, a, it was excessive, but I wouldn't blame Sutton for that, you know, for closing down um, 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 school, well, not, not schools, but um, uh, although those were close too, but playgrounds and, and things like that. They were government decisions. And I think there was a lot of collusion, that's probably not the right word, but collaboration between the government and the Victoria Police uh, where the Vic Pol, Vic Pol would say, look, here's the best way of handling this. So just shut this down, shut down, let's have, uh, let's have no one going out at night and that's, that's the best way to police it. So, I think yeah, so, so we can go home. So we can well, go home uh, and not work night shift. Exactly. What better way to control the population by, by them just by not allowing them out? And I think the, these things do need to be examined. So it's not just Victoria. We need to have a look at this through the Royal Commission because there is a lot of nonsense around. You know, there is a lot of nonsense around excess deaths, for example. Um, and then there's a lot of nonsense saying if we had a lockdown, if it had been no lockdowns, everything would have been beautiful and everyone would be happy. And I think that's just a nonsense. We would have had a lot of, lot more people die. So I think we need to have a review. Both sides of politics are terrified of it, but we need to do it so we can establish some, some rules on these sorts of things going forward. Uh, Troy Bramston thinks Donald Trump Jr. should be prevented from entering Australia on character grounds. Yeah, wrote a whole wrote a whole article about this. I didn't I see this. Did not see that. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Troy's. What would Donald Trump? I mean, I can understand the old man, but what about uh, what about uh, the boy? What's he done? Well, well, apparently he was talking about paying a visit to Australia for some reason, and Troy Bramson got terribly upset about this and wrote a whole long article about why he shouldn't be allowed in, which I thought was quite bizarre. A little bit strange. Have you seen uh, Junior's... Uh... In fact, my immediate reaction is, what if Hunter Biden applied <laughs> to come to Australia for a visa? Well, yeah, look, uh, we're not dealing with the Biden thing today, but I do believe that there are that, that, that matter is 
not quite resolved yet. It's yeah. not well, just- well Troy, Troy's argument was that Donald Trump Jr. should be denied admission to Australia um, under the character grounds um, uh, that are in the Migration Act. Um, well, and I just thought that was kind of bizarre. He's not been charged with any offence. Um, well, well uh, we do have these things arise from time to time. You might remember back in the... Oh, well, I don't even think it was the dying days. I mean, um, the Howard government was on was on uh, uh, was on intensive care support for a fair old time there. They just didn't have much of an opposition to challenge them. Um, but do you remember Snoop Dogg wasn't allowed into the country, Jack? Yeah, and he has got. There's really no criminal antecedents whatsoever, but he mm. was basically put on the not allowed to come to Australia. Um, because of, I guess, what he did, what he was sort of famous for, gangster rapping and smoking a fair bit of weed. Um, yeah, it's, it, this sort of stuff takes us back to the days of, you remember Sir Arthur Ryler as Chief Secretary oh, of Victoria, yeah, yeah, banning books and stuff. I just think it's bizarre. Yeah. And, and I was a bit surprised yeah. that Troy Bramson was doing it. Be quite yeah, I think we've got to always be, when we get to things like bans, we've all got to be really careful about and really try and understand what, what that's all about. If you're in the business of proposing bans on people, on conduct um, that you don't necessarily like, then I think you're looking at the whole thing the wrong way. Um <clears throat> Yes, I'm an, I'm an old-fashioned lefty who, um, um, uh, very much a let-it-rip sort of uh, uh, chap in, by comparison to the ban. Ah, oh, you're turning <laughs> into one of those right-wing libertarian lunatics, mate, uh, as far as I no, can tell. No, I joined, when I joined the Labor Party, they were in favour of drinking and smoking and everything else that was fun, um, uh, and, it, and they were taken over by the Methodist wing. A quick one out of the blue. It seems likely, well, I wouldn't say likely, it's, it, it's become an issue now, ga- gambling ads around, around um, sporting events, uh, which is a bit of a loophole that allows younger people who might be sitting there <coughs> to watch a game of footy or a game of cricket, uh, uh, it, it gets around that loophole of advertising beyond, I think, 9.30. Um, so there is, you know, and you just see a block of ads around the gaming industry promoting various uh, agencies, betting agencies around that. And it seems like there is a serious amount of political will now to to kill it, uh, to stop the advertising. And that's supported by Peter Dutton, who raised the matter in his budget in reply. And uh, and it has come from, uh, I think, also Michelle Rowland, who we'll talk about in a minute. I just wonder how you feel about that, Jack. You know, the, the banning, and, and what we're talking about now is a complete banning of gaming, advertising uh, in media, um, and, uh, and, what you, and what you think about that. Um, uh, I'm, uh, say, not one for banning anything much, um, uh, but I can see um, some grounds for restricting um, uh, advertising in some way when it's going to kids. I'm quite happy with alcohol ads, but alcohol ads that, that target kids, I don't agree with. Cigar- I don't care if cigarette companies advertise, to be quite honest, as long as they're not targeting kids. 
Yeah, I mean, the dose is come and gone, mate. But I had no problem with that when they were advertising. But uh, uh, advertising... At but you were on the gas was at the time. Yeah, I probably was. Yeah, of course I was, yes. <laughs> I'd forgotten. Um, oh, yeah, that reminds me, I must buy a pack. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no. Person, personally, I gave up about 20 kilos ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... When we look at this though, Jack, it's really interesting because the gaming industry is, I would, without reaching for too much hyperbole, the, the, the gaming industry is essentially keeping network, free-to-air network television alive yeah. and that without it, there would be big, big problems. So you can, I, I can imagine that there will be a huge amount of very subtle pressure applied uh through the Minister of Communications and the Cabinet and the Parliament around this. In fact, when Dutton mentioned it in his budget in reply, uh, the networks, well, they don't want to say too much about this, but the networks went, oh, God, what a terrible decision. And there were a number of sort of op-eds written about that. My yeah, well, view is I, that... I, I watch my AFL through the lens of um, uh, the ABC Asia TV, so we don't get this, but I'm told from friends in Australia that... Um, every ad break in an AFL game seems to be um, a gambling ad. Now, that's directed at um, young and vulnerable people, and I don't agree with that. Um, uh, There's no doubt it's been targeted at young people. You know, old blokes like me just don't appear on those ads, or if if we do, uh, we're we're the cartoon villains. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that basically if you take that revenue out of the uh, out of the free to air networks, then they're going to really struggle. Um, you'll you'll see a lot more uh, Joe's smash repair type ads on uh, national television. Um, uh, is he is is he die? We'll be back on the telly uh, selling shirts. Will he? <laughs> it's it, it it's something that will be fought. I think where it'll land in, in the end is to get rid of that loophole, which will really piss off the the betting agencies and the networks. Um, around this, you know, loophole that you uh, can only advertise gaming uh, after I think nine o'clock or nine thirty, when it's presumed little kiddies have gone to bed, and uh, but the loophole is you could do it around sporting events, and I think that's where it will change. Um, yeah. Well, well, I, I wouldn't like to see the free-to-air television stations killed off. Sometimes you've got to um, adopt a bit of clever politics about this and, and you know stage things in to make sure to make sure that you don't disrupt society too much by making a change but um, but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the idea of every time there's a, a goal score in the AFL that there's a um, uh, an ad for a gambling organisation. And like the old smokes, there's always the warning at the end, bet with your head, not over it and all that sort of stuff. You may already be losing. You see, see, that's actually become an industry in itself um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, advertisers and advertising producers uh, are are forced to to bring in these these caveats, uh, these warnings about gambling. I'm not sure. And, and I say this is a bloke who enjoys a bet. Not not a lot, but I well, do enjoy it. Not a lot you? either at my end, but um, uh, these days, and I've never really been a big gambler, too cheap to be a gambler, to be honest, a, a serious And uh, And I'm not, I'm not a fan of sports gambling. I like the races myself. Look, if you wanted to knock over problem gambling or make a significant dent into problem gambling in this country, you would place fairly heavy restrictions on poker machines. I mean... Yeah, they're, ha- they're, po- they're poisonous. 
they are just utterly toxic and they've, they've leapt into the country uh, across the board, into pubs. Um, New South Wales had a, a long uh, history of club involvement. But what and, we and, have with and, that, and the, Jack, the thing that I, the thing that I like least about the, the poker machines is that they target um, uh, non-combatants. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, the, fruitful sideboard. If you go to the races, it's a fair fight between the bookmaker and the TAB and a punter who's there to have a bet. Um, the people who bet on the poker machines are, you know, slightly bored housewives, middle-aged uh, women, uh, older women, um, uh, people who don't normally bet, who don't consider themselves to be punters, and I, and I don't like that at all. No, I don't like it at all either. Um, uh, look, the... Just, just to just to wrap this up, what what, is, what Australia does have is a benefit of having almost an inbuilt control on problem gambling. Um, in Western Australia, pokies can only um, uh, uh, be be used or can can only be uh, can only sit in casinos. There's two in Western Australia, and that's it. So um, the rest of the country, pubs and clubs and uh, and invidious poker machines everywhere. And comparing the levels of problem gambling in Western Australia to New South Wales, you've got it almost 10 times. So it's uh, problem gambling is self-reported. So that's, uh, you know, problematic as well in terms of how we look at data. But um, but the levels of problem gambling, those who self-report as problem gamblers in Western Australia, 10 times less than they are in New South Wales. Yeah. And that, the only variable there is poker machines. Yeah, the other, the other thing they've done is they've ruined pubs. Yeah, to a large degree, I think they have. I mean, I, you know, I think the sort of pub culture sort of overridden it, but you, you, if you were a publican and you didn't have poker machines, you'd be a mug. You know, you, you're basically turning it back on a million dollars worth of revenue every year. Um, mm. Yeah, nasty stuff. And brought in largely by Labor governments, it must be said, Jack, I think in Tasmania it was a Liberal government. In South Australia it went to the parliament um, and got through. Um, but, um, yeah, it's one of those areas, if you really want to look at gambling reform, that's the way to, that's the way to approach it. Now, we mentioned uh, Minister of Communications, Michelle Rowland, misinformation and disinformation, that uh, ACMA's been given a turbocharge to look into uh, and, uh, and uh, particularly uh, pay uh, or level fines against... Um, uh, against uh, internet platforms that uh, that are getting around pushing um, misinformation, Jack. Good thing or bad thing? Um, who gets to decide what's misinformation and disinformation? Well, ACMA does. So well, it's an independent yeah. body. Mm-hmm. Not, not happy about that. Well, let, 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 let's deal with it. I mean, I, we, we talk about ACMA because it's a rather toothless tiger. It has been for many, many years and... and uh, <clears throat> It does have the ability to levy levy great fines on, for example, breaches of advertising and you know, gambling and what what have you, there too. So so it has the ability to level fines and and it does. I mean, ACMA is like any independent body. It's got to be able to maintain, you know, sort of stuff that's that's clearly. It has to be very clearly missing clear misinformation. If you're running around saying, "Don't get vaccinated because it won't it won't prevent you from getting," no, hang on, no, that's that's kind of not misinformation. If you get the vaccine, you will become sterile. Um, now that's something that's that's pretty easily dismissed, isn't it, Jack? 
Um, I would be reluctant to give a, um, a public body the authority to prevent people from saying things like that. Not saying things like that, publishing things like You're that. Or publishing them. That's, that's what I mean. I mean, saying them in public, publishing them. Yeah, but enough people take this take this belief. Now we saw this sort of, you know, this is the way misinformation spreads. There was a question put to a to a Pfizer executive in the uh, European Parliament, uh, where that executive acknowledged that uh, that uh, the the COVID vaccines or the Pfizer vaccines and all vaccines for COVID did not um, uh, prevent tra- transmission, and this was leapt on by a whole bunch of people who, who went on to make all sorts of claims about the vaccine that just simply weren't right. Basically, from the data we've received, we do know that it reduces transmission, but that was ne- the, the, the question that was being put was answered in a way that said we were never supposed to reduce transmission. That was not part of the contract. And indeed, if we chose to do that, it would have taken us five or ten years to develop a vaccine that could if we were able to. So all this stuff became, you know, sort of a hotbed of, of, of misinformation that's actually telling people not to get vaccinated, not to get boosted. Now, in Australia, we've got booster rates of 54%. That's people, that's that's 54% of people who've been double-vaxxed. Only, only half, or a little bit over half, have gone on to get a booster because they've been... Subject to this kind of mis- misinformation and manipulation. Now, whether that means a body gets involved or not, I, I, I'm not quite sure. But certainly, it needs to be repudiated. Otherwise, you'll have a public health disaster on your hands. Well, if if you disagree with information that's out there, answer it. Don't try and ban it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's so overwhelming these days. We've seen a lot of Russian uh, interference in things, basically creating. Well, what did what did uh, Trump's uh, was it? A, it wasn't a national security advisor. What did she say? She talked about um, uh, uh, other versions of the truth. We do need to. We do need to. I mean, one one of the things that technology has driven this wonderful thing that you and I can sit and talk to each other and look at each other from thousands of miles away, but no one ever actually thought about social media and and how how harmful it can be in certain circumstances. I, I, I don't really have a problem with with this, and I think if you're going to find people to to find uh, platforms, uh, 2.75 million or 2% of a company's global turnover, whichever is greater, uh, and there are, in fact, heavier penalties than that, um, I really don't have a problem with it. If it is ab- absolutely outrageous and uh, an overt and deliberate attempt to spread misinformation, i got no problem with it. Um, uh, no, absolutely not. Well... Someone's got to make the call, Jack. You just can't have bullshit just going around and around and around. You know, as, you, as I said at the start, who decides what's um, a misinformation, well, misinformation? ACMA. ACMA. Mm, okay. No, don't agree. All right. In the United States, we had, oh, dear, oh, dear, the Supreme Court uh, of the United States. You think this is all terrific. Uh, they overruled uh, the uh, student debt forgiveness plan, uh, saying it does not comply with federal law. 
Um, do you want to deal with that first, or do you want to deal uh, yeah, with that's, that, that? That's fine. That's an that's, a, that's an uncontroversial view. In fact, yeah, Nancy, it, it was it, predictable. Yeah, yeah, Nancy Pelosi said exactly the same thing um, uh, about eighteen months ago. Yeah, they're going to have to deal with it. But look, um, um, there are other things that have, that have been a little bit more uh, controversial from the SCOTUS. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and one of those, well, let's deal with, a, let's deal with this one, which is a relatively minor in terms of impact, relatively minor. And that is that the SCOTUS ruled that a website designer can decline to create same-sex wedding websites, can decline the business, can actively discriminate against a group of people, Jack. Is that okay? Um, I've got no particular problem with that, unless it's a situation where there's only one provider. But the state laws, you know, in the United States and indeed here, there will be, well, here's not really all that relevant, but, but you know, there will be state laws that, that, uh, that, that ban discrimination, that, pro- that seek to prohibit discrimination. And so those that will now be overridden by the, 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 the great example was the, was the wedding cake. Mm. Remember this? This was yep. around the time of the, uh, time of the uh, same-sex marriage. What do we call it? What do we call it? A postal poll, I suppose, is about the best thing mm. we can say about the thing in Australia. It was post-Obergefell in the United States as well, so post the Supreme Court deciding that um, same-sex marriages were okay. Yeah, all right. So that's the, that's the minor one. I mean, look, if you're in business and someone walks in your door and you don't agree with them politically, um, um You'd be a mug to turn them, turn them back. Yeah, in my view, exactly. You may, you may well go broke, and that's fine if you go broke. Um, but provided there's a web designer or a cake shop across the road or down the street, I've got no problem with people saying I don't want to do that. Um, that's okay. Um, the, there are very few businesses in the world who can, uh, very few industries in the world that compel people to do business with you. Um, the cab rank rule for barristers is is a rare, rare example. Um, but for solicitors, that's in my, my my business, a professional, my profession, um, uh, a solicitor can choose to act or not act for anybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's bad business, basically. Yes. Bad business. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, no, you know, you know, but to be honest, if you're in business as, as a lawyer, you weigh that up and you say, well, uh, is the um, am I going to damage my brand by acting for this person or not? You know. Um, um, so. Or help my brand. No, oh, you well, you how long have you been on the brand stuff, Jack? That's this is all this is all twenty first century nonsense, isn't it? Oh, I'm an up to date chap, you know. <laughs> I've never seen so much nonsense uh, around brand, what we call brands. Everyone uses the term brands, and you've got all these charlatans running around in Australia now saying we'll give you brand advice, we will help you brand your product, and all this sort of stuff. Most of them, if you look at them, they don't even have any, you know decent marketing backgrounds. Yeah, it's well, a, it's uh, the easiest I, I, thing I, I, in the world to promote, you know. I, I can tell you if you're in a, one of a, if you're in a label law firm in Melbourne in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s, you had a brand. You mightn't have called it that, but you had a. You wouldn't have called brand. it that. That's my yeah. point. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, anyway, well, you definitely the, had a you definitely had a brand because the three big ones all had slightly different niches, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, niche is a much better word than brand. 
Okay. And it's French, so it makes everyone it makes the user sound important, but uh, and, uh, and, uh, and sophisticated. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. Anyone who uses a smattering of French uh, is always very civilised. Now, yes, what we well, do well, have so, here... So, so shall we pop brand in the bin with weaponise? Oh, yeah, bloody oath. It's, it's just it's a shitty term that means nothing and leads to a lot of particularly small businesses getting sucked in to consultancies that they don't need. They really don't need. Um, I've been watching a couple of scammers. I won't say where. I've been watching a couple of scammers. They've got long histories in scamming. Guess scamming Jack, you know, and they've been ripping people off left, right and centre most of their lives, uh, uh, not allowed to engage in uh, um, uh, running companies and so forth. And guess what they're up to, Jack? They're involved in branding and uh, marketing now for you know, put, setting themselves up as consultants. Yeah, these are these are the same people who were involved in internal um, uh, company training in the in the 1990s when there was a, a tax concession for it. Yeah, I think that's probably where all the where all the where all the problems started. But anyway, the big thing that we do want to talk about is the SCOTUS striking down affirmative action programs in college admissions in the United States. Jack six three decision. And uh, Clarence Thomas went hard on uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, another member of the bench. And, uh, of course, Clarence Thomas is a black man himself, but he voted against uh, affirmative action. No, not voted. He handed down the judgment as part of the 6-3 majority, uh, which will now mean that affirmative action is no longer a thing in the United States in terms of uh, in terms of tertiary education. Yeah, I was most amused to see Gavin Newsom come out strongly against the decision of the Supreme Court, <coughs> which is amusing because um, uh, California voted down affirmative action in college admissions in about 1997 um, uh, by 55%. Um, and there's been no attempt to ever put it back into place there because um, I, I, I just just to break away briefly, I saw Newsom being interviewed by Sean Hannity. I don't know if you saw any of this. Yeah, I did. Uh, He's got, fabu- got fabulous hair, Gavin Newsom. Newsom out Hannity. Hannity. I mean, basically, he just threw some facts out there, mm. whether they're true or not. You would have to do um, some. No, I watch. I watch some that. deep he, digging. Well, he he claimed that. Seventy-one percent of uh, US GDP comes from blue states, and I thought, "Wow, that's actually really significant." I wonder if I have a look at that, and then you do have a look at it, and it's not quite doesn't quite add no, up to seventy-one percent. But he was smart enough to put it over Hannity, and that's why mm. I thought. Now you and I have talked about California Democrats essentially being unelectable, but he's got a bit of a polish about him. Mm. Um, it won't be this. Won't be this uh, election, uh, presidential election, but he may well be a runner. Yeah, um, uh, someone was someone proposed to me a few weeks ago a Newsom Kamala Harris ticket, and I said, "Well, no, that's not going to fly." That's too uh, much to, California. California. That's way too much California. The, the, yeah. the history, the history of this affirmative action thing, and it's really the history in college admissions is the history of college admissions in, in the United States, and it went wrong right back in the nineteen thirties. Harvard started this. They wanted to keep the number of Jews that Harvard admitted to around fourteen or fifteen percent. Right. Um, so, so they so they invented this um, whole of student um, uh, approach to admissions, where you, di- you didn't just look at the marks they got at school; you looked at all aspects of the person, and that was um, a clever way of saying, "Let's keep the numbers of Jews down to about there." We, 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 
we're happy to have Jews in the in the college, but we don't want to have twenty or thirty percent, right? Right. Um, we wanted to so do it was a method of control the other way, yes. while seeming while seeming they were uh, being good, uh, good, good, good. Shall we say tertiary education citizens? Yes. Yeah. And and, and this is what it's turned back into now. The, the, the use of affirmative action in, um, uh, in college admissions in the United States as it exists at present, up until now, um, has been a way of lifting in some black and Hispanic um, 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 students, but also keeping the Asians to about 15 or 20 percent. I just had one of the critics of this who came forward to say this, and this is in Politico. Uh, just in the last couple of days, let me just find the author of it is, in fact, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, who's the co-founder and executive director of the African American Policy Forum. And she says, um, let me just find the quote, um, when fewer minority candidates get accepted into institutions of higher education, this is not just an issue for the elites. It functionally will mean fewer diverse doctors, lawyers, educators and lawmakers, which will significantly impact the quality of life for black Americans. Research has shown, and I checked out the research, often often people will just say research, uh, a study has said, but uh, there, there, was some, there was a genuine study behind this and quite a broad one. Research has shown in areas with more black doctors, black people live longer, even in countries with just one black doctor as opposed to none. Black lawyers can create more equitable outcomes for black clients. And again, that's supported by data. Black students who have one black teacher by third grade are 13% more likely to enrol in college and 32% more likely if they have two black teachers in that same time period. So aren't they messing with those, uh, with, 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 that, with that serious amount of data there, Jack? Um, uh, no, I don't think they are. Uh, all it's saying is, um, you ought to go to a college um, uh, that uh, fits your um, education level there, right? So um, all, it, it actually hasn't helped black and Hispanic kids to get into Harvard and MIT and those sort of things because they have very high failure rates because they're set up to fail. Well, Clar I looked a little bit at Clarence Thomas. We'll just wrap this up, but but I looked a little bit of Clar about Clarence Thomas, and Clarence Thomas was rejected by a number of universities too. Yeah. But but he's of a view that I should have pulled myself up by my bootstraps and and got through all of this stuff, and everyone else should too. And I don't know that that necessarily works, Jack. No, but nor does nor does um, um, artificially um, uh, inflating the numbers at the at the very top institutions work for the for for the for the students who are sent there, um, uh, or for the community generally, which is why they got rid of it in California um, and I think in Michigan as well, um, and yeah, and it's an uncontroversial decision in this sense is that. Um, I, I think only 40% of Democrats um, uh, support uh, affirmative action in college admissions, 60% against. You sent me some polling indicating that that was the case. I mean, po polling has its limits on these sorts of things. When, and, and, when, and, and the same goes for the student loans admission. Um, uh, um, yeah, that's incredibly unpopular. That's, they're, they're very odd things for the Democrat Party in the United States um, to to make a matter of great principle, the the one that the one that um, is. Well, I'd say Biden's got the politics right, 
absolutely right on it. You know, he, he's, he's got a loss and he won't be able to do anything about it. He won't be able to get any uh, legislation through the Congress, but he looks like the good guy. Um, well, that's not what the majority of Americans think. The, the only one of those the decisions that was um, controversial in terms of public approval um, is the is the uh, the wedding cake case, which is about a 43, 42 yeah. um, uh, either way. But the, others the, way are, the, the others are all very popular with the wider population. Just by the way, Joe Biden's uh, personal rating's up to 44, so he's... Um Still in the negative, but uh, he's, he's just up a little bit. And in the polling that I've seen, including some some reliable polling, um, just had a quick look at real clear politics, um, that uh, Biden is beating uh, DeSantis, and DeSantis's figures against Trump and against Biden are pretty poor, Jack, at this particular stage. We'll take a proper look at them next week. Meanwhile, in Thailand, Jack, uh, Thailand's King Maha Vajira Longorn presided over the opening of Parliament in Bangkok on Monday evening. Um, uh, uh, and the election, the election results were widely seen as a repudiation of the military government. But the problem is, Jack, in the 500-seat lower house, 250 of them are appointed by the junta. Yes. So who's going to be prime minister? The one that was the one that won the popular election, maybe, maybe not. Mm. Um, uh, it's a, it's an odd system, the Thai system. Very, very strange indeed. But there is something else. What, that's what they're trying, what they're trying to do is to is to um, uh, bring the military enough into the government so there's not a coup every five years. Oh, have one every third Wednesday, wouldn't they? Mm. In, in Thailand, very, very common uh, going back. Uh, going back a few years and the junta has, until the recent election, been in power for about 12 years. But well, there's something else going on in uh, in Thailand, Jack, and um, uh, AFP's fact-checkers have exposed a slew of cases around the world in which fraudsters impersonated doctors fabricating their comments or endorsements to push out bogus treatments and products or to peddle propaganda, Jack. This is the kind of misinformation we're talking about, isn't it? Um, and and who's going to stop that? Um, but yeah, we're here. We've got a, a Thai neurologist says that he gets impersonated nearly every month. Um, these fraudsters, he says, uh, want to make money, so they cite renowned or credible health professionals to support their claims. And people will basically look at the claims. Then they might do the Google search on. Um, uh, on the name, on the person who spoke, and we go, wow, well, look at this. This is a high-profile neurologist. Hmm. So there you go. In fact, uh, the neurologist here, Thiravat Hemachuda, um, Thiravat's name has been falsely linked to Facebook ads and posts promoting a range of treatments from diabetes to penile enlargement. It is unclear who is behind the disinformation, but he warned that it poses significant threats to consumers' health. Surely and there's an intervention there for yeah, well, the, the, a regulator. And, and, and there's a body to do it. It's, it. it's called the Medical Registrations Boards. They could come along and say, you are not a doctor. I, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure that, we've, that, we've, that we're evening up there, but um, I, I, we're going to keep moving because we've got a lot to get through. Meanwhile, in France... Uh, uh, even more rioty than normal, the French, and this follows the very uh, 
very tragic death uh, <coughs> of uh, a 17 year old uh, youth, I think, of uh, Northern African uh, uh, background. His name is Nal M. Um, who was shot dead by a police officer, Jack, who's subsequently been charged. Um, but there was a bit of bit of uh, bit of nonsense going on around how it had all happened. Noah was actually driving a car unlicensed when he was pulled over by police. He wasn't seeking to flee, but he was in a bit of trouble. He knew he was in a bit of strife, and and he was shot dead in his car. And that's led to more rioting than we've seen in France for a very very long time. Uh, biggest uh, 40, riots in 20 years, I'm, I'm told, which, and that's saying something oh, yeah. um, uh, in France. Uh, I did see the video of the incident. Um, I don't know whether you did. Yeah, I had to, yeah. Um, uh, and um, uh, I'll just uh, I never like to jump in and, uh, and, uh, and give an opinion as to whether someone's guilty or not, um, but I'm not surprised he's been charged. Um, but mm. some of that's not, some of the situation is not quite clear whether he was, in fact, trying to flee or not. I do know the uh, police officer who has been charged has issued an apology to the um, uh, to the family of Nal M. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, this has taken on a. Uh, and if we look at where the, the big clashes are in Nice, in Marseille, um, a little bit in Paris as well. But this is where this is in the French cities where there are major um, 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 populations from North Africa. Uh, mm. <coughs> you know, old French colonies, in other words, and um, and and, uh, and a sense of um, uh, a, a sense that they're being knocked about um, by police. Um, yeah, worst riots in France in twenty years. And look, if it looks a bit cloudy, and like a, and they do like a riot. They do enjoy a riot, but this has been something exceptional. I believe a mayor, a, a mayor in Marseille, his home was attacked. Um, so yes, uh, we'll keep an eye on that and make sure that it doesn't uh, it, and, and get into uh, and, and report on anything that uh, is uh, uh, looking like escalating the issue. It seems like it's calming down a little bit, Jack, from the weekend, but who knows with the French. Uh, look, I'm going to pass on the 75th anniversary of the NHS. We'll, we'll, we'll wish them a happy birthday. Um, but we want to talk about the ashes. Um, first, I'm just going to say that the women are going beautifully. Uh, they uh, they won the test. Uh, they've won the first two T20s. I think that's where we are now. And I think they only need to win one more game. I think there might be one T one more T20 and three ODIs. Um, uh, and they only need one more game to win their ashes. Uh, and meanwhile, Jack, the men have gone two zip up. Uh, and the Poms have lost their minds over what they perceive to be the spirit of cricket. Uh, let's talk about the the Bearstow dismissal. Let's start with that. Um, I've watched this very closely now. Carey gloves the ball and in one motion throws the ball at the stumps. At that stage, Bearstow had not left the crew. So when the ball leaves the keeper's gloves... Um, uh, Bearstow is still in his crease. I only mention that because I, I want to make it absolutely clear that the gloving of the ball and the throwing of the ball was almost done in one action. You know, this was not a wait and see if he moves out of his crease. This was the ball gloved, Bearstow behind the crease, throws the ball at the stubs by this stage, by, while the ball's in the air, Bearstow 
wanders out of his crease and is out stumped. Not run out, stumped. And the Poms just lost their minds over it, Jack. It's 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 kind of a routine dismissal. You see it a lot. You see a lot in park cricket. You actually see it a lot in first class cricket. You see it actually in a bit of Test cricket. We've seen uh, the uh, current England captain uh, Baz McCallum uh, has done it quite a few times. But I just want to the England, the England coach when he was a keeper at, uh, for for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. That's sorry. Yeah, that's right. So. So he's done a number of times, although he regretted he, he has expressed regrets well before the incident on um, on Sunday night our time. But um, um, Jack, let me just give you a, 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 a um, hypothetical, and let's say that the bowler wasn't. I think it was. Uh, I think it was um, Hazelwood, wasn't it? Oh no, it was uh, a green, green, green. Who the ball. It was green. Uh, <coughs> but let's say it was one of the slow bowlers, and. And uh, and the, and the keeper's up to the stumps. Well, he gloves the ball. Does Bearstow leave the crease? Um, no. Well, if he's as silly as he looks, that's one of the things that the English cricket team and anyone around it has not acknowledged, how stupid Bearstow was. Well, there were a few acknowledgements. Uh, Mike Atherton acknowledged it in the hot times yesterday. The times, the times elsewhere, harumphed about the unfairness of it all, but Atherton got it right. Best cricket writer in the business, we reckon. Uh, and also Nasser Hussain and I think Strauss, Andrew Strauss, was of the view that it was a legitimate dismissal and no breaches of the of the uh, so-called uh, uh, um, fairness in the game. Uh, were uttered. Um, it just seems like, you know, this is a country with, you know, a, a pretty much national disposition to whinging, isn't it? You know, they, they get beaten fair and square. After the first test, they reckon they won it. You see all that sort of nonsense? Well, we didn't lose. They did. They pulled the old Billy, Billy Sned and we didn't, we didn't win, but we didn't lose. Uh, and then they get, and, and they were pretty soundly beaten. Um, um, in the end, I only lost by I think about fifty odd runs, but but they were pretty soundly beaten. Australia batted in the worst of the conditions, and I don't know if you saw much of Saturday night's play, Jack, but that was, and Ponting said it, two hours, over two hours with the England bowlers bowling uh, before the uh, where, where the where the England bowlers did not bowl a ball in the Australian batter's half of the wicket. For, for over two hours with a six with a three six field so you had essentially body line and there was concern about it there was concern expressed about it by Strauss again by Hussain again by Taylor uh, from Australia that this is not a good tactic it was essentially a bit of body line um, and it was designed to reduce scoring the Australians didn't handle it well they lost wickets around it but I would have said if we're talking about the spirit of the game, there wasn't too much of that on display from the English captain on Saturday night. Uh, well, I was reminded of, uh, I thought we were going back to the, the, the mid-1980s with the West Indies. And uh, um, what was the fabulous quote from uh, from Mikey Holding? Um, uh, um, someone sort of um, um, made a remark that they never got a chance to drive the ball. And, um, and Mikey Holding says, you want to drive, man, you buy a car. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the West Indies quicks. I mean, there was controversy around them too. But this is just ridiculous. I mean, Bairstow was outstumped. 
It's one of the, it's not the first thing you learn when you start playing cricket, but it's probably about the fifth thing you learn. Don't leave your crease. Look around. Be aware. He didn't even look back. This is the other thing. So anyone wants to have a look at the replay, first notice what Kerry does. Kerry gloves the ball, virtually the same motion, uh, ball to the stumps. Bairstow does not look back. And that's just dumb cricket. So in the end, we'll 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 go with uh, we'll go with um, uh, we'll go with Mike Atherton on that, who com- who described Bearstow as being dozy, which I think is about right. No one's actually yeah, said, yeah. "Hey, this guy's actually a little bit stupid," and basically we need to tether him to a tether him to uh, to to a to a, you know to sit somewhere in the changing rooms. Otherwise, you'll just go wandering off. Um, Mike Atherton also pointed out that in league cricket um, uh, in England, which is the most Australian-like cricket, I, I would say, um, uh, competitive um, uh, cricket, um, these are ten a penny. Uh, he said in league cricket, um, uh, but I've, I've been amused by it, it took um, uh, about four hours before somebody turned up a video of Johnny Besto when he's keeping um, doing the same thing. Well, and I thought, oh, this. And I thought, oh, this is going to be from, you know, four tests ago or, you know, a couple of years ago. But it was from the Saturday, in fact, um, uh, when he tried it on Manus Labashan. Keepers um, do it all the time. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so I thought that was really good. I love the fact that Stuart Broad came out and um, uh, and said to Alex Carey that, um, mate, this is what you're going to be remembered for. Yeah, you'll always be re- – you'll only be remembered, remembered for, this. for this. This is the bloke who, who – um, who stood his ground when he was caught at first slip. Oh, of, straight uh, drove it to, to, of to Ash, first Ashton slip. Agar. And this has reappeared as well. A quote from Stuart Broad after the yeah, Ashton Agar, um, 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 after he stood his ground against Ashton Agar. These things aren't remembered. It's winning that will be remembered. We do have a win-it-all mentality. I think we're quite an unpleasant team to play against at the moment. Teams won't play against us and enjoy the experience. That's what we want. This is Stuart Broad from, uh, I can't remember what year that was. And that's Ooh. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. See, it, it looks I, I, I odd now, have, but think, that's right. I mean, I think you, we they have talk to... about the spirit of the game. What's the spirit of the game? Could you define it? <clears throat> um, it's trying to win. Um, the um, You play hard. I think, I think, I think you, you have play to, to win. And in the end, you accept the umpire's decision. That's the spirit of cricket. Yes, and, the, well, and, and, and the only ones who haven't accepted the the, the umpire's decision are the English. Yeah, uh, I think you have to understand the English crowds through this prism. Um, Australia humiliated them for um, uh, basically for a generation. Um, there's a whole generation of English cricket fans who've known nothing much, but pr- apart from 2005. Uh, and one series in Australia, pretty much constant hum- humiliation since Alan Border took a team over in '89. Um, uh, so everything they think is Australia are cheating, Australia getting some unfair advantage, and it's just it's in that um, uh, prism that we have to see it. Never heard so much whinging and whining from a nation known for it. Uh, R- Rishi Sunak came out, of course he would, you know, um, <laughs> and and agreed. And agreed with Stokes. They've doubled down since this, Jack. They've doubled down since Sunday night or early Monday morning. They've doubled down on it. Um, the Australians will have to live with the consequences of this. Is, is what this is what some of the the current um, squad are saying. 
it's very, very hard to very, very hard to believe that they cast themselves as victims, which is a really dopey thing to do anyway. And just guess what happens on Thursday night, Jack? Now it's on. It starts again. Starts again. Um, uh, what would we say about Bairstow's contribution to the game? I mean, you're going to pick a keeper. He's got to be able to glove the ball. I saw him keeping on Saturday night. I couldn't believe it, uh, just how, how poor he was. I don't know whether he should be staying in that side. He hasn't made any runs. He's got a, I think he got a 60 um, since in the first two tests. Um, what changes would be made, Jack, on the Australian side? Any? Well, not Lyon obviously is a compulsory one. Yeah, Lyon comes out and Murphy goes in, I think. You'd think so. They might rotate the quicks. Um, um, they, uh, uh, I thought Stark bowled beautifully. There was some um, uh, uh, discussion about whether he should have come in and, uh, and, and, and Boland obviously went out. Uh, Scott Boland had done nothing wrong in the first test. Um, but um, the difference... And Stark provides that really glaring difference that the English England bowlers uh, have got, uh, you know, basically five seamers in in the in the Lord's Test, five, all right arm over the wicket sort of stuff, uh, all, all sameness, uh, all are in a sort of general pace. Uh, I thought Tung bowled really well because he was just that yard quicker than the rest of them, um, but the rest of them are pedestrian, and and the, that's that's the difference between the two sides. The biggest difference, anyway, and that and that is the Australian attack is is just faster and better. Um, there was a, there was a a nice moment. I was watching the um, the post game uh, um, uh, chats between the players of the opposing side and um, uh, Jimmy Anderson and Stephen Smith <coughs> were shaking hands and um, uh, some something was said. Jimmy was talking to um, Stephen Smith, um, who then uh, put his arms around him and um, uh, and gave him a bit of a man hug, and it just had the look about it of a uh, a great great batsman um, uh, saying pretty much goodbye to a respected opponent. It may well be the last test that we see uh, Jimmy Anderson play. Um, look, if Australia win in head, at, at Headingley and they go three zip up, they might give him a lap of honour in the fourth or fifth test. But no, other than I, that, I, it, I actually don't think he'll play in Headingley. I think they might play him at Old Trafford, which is his home ground. Um, uh, but um, I think he's just about cooked. Um, <coughs> part of the problem is Jack, and when we talk about <coughs> the spirit of cricket. Um, we've got uh, the English captain Ben Stokes, hell of a cricketer. Let's let's be honest. But but as a captain, has has basically made it very clear to the grounds keepers and the five st- at, at the at the five grounds that where the test will be played, that he expects the wickets to be fast and flat, and yeah, that doesn't um, help Jimmy. No, no, it doesn't. He says I'm almost irrelevant if they if they do that. What I would say about Ben Stokes is that. Um, uh, he uh, is as great a cricketer, or not quite as great a cricketer, but not, not too far behind the bloke who I think is the best cricketer I've seen, and that, that's Shane Warne. 
Um, uh, there are there are people who can bat better. There are people who can bowl better. But to me, a great cricketer is one who can just change a game, and he can. He's a great, great cricketer. He's a great competitor. There's no doubt about that. Just a, you know, never say die sort of approach. And and there really was that headingly all over again uh, uh, approach to his knock when he ripped into green and took twenty six off the over. I think he he hits the ball as well as anybody, but he's. He, he looks like he's, and I'm not quite sure, I think he's 32, but he looks like he's, he's got that face. He's got an old man's face. He, he looks like he's been in the, um, you know, the, the, the Merchant Navy for the last 40 years. He's got that look about him. Um, hell of a good knock from him. Uh, very, very sad end to it. And please, England, stop your whinging. You lost. And there's no spirit of cricket nonsense. Accept the umpire's decision and move on. Well, Jack, what else have we got going on in sport? It's nothing bigger than the Ashes, is there? Nothing at all. No, I've hardly seen any footy. <laughs> no, I did watch a few games. Uh, I did watch a few games on the weekend. Yeah, look, I, I haven't been watching my normal uh, slice of documentaries because um, uh, because I just did, you know, the cricket's on till three in the morning and then the footy's been on uh, during the... Uh, and during the afternoons and sometimes into the evenings. It makes it very difficult to decide. Um, but we uh, we are looking forward to Headingley. We'll grab some sleep and, um, and uh, it's not so bad for you, but for us it's like, you know, the final ball's often bowled around four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, I, I tend to watch, uh, I tend to gather with some English friends and a couple of American friends and watch the first hour in the pub. Uh, and then just follow it intermittently after I'm, that. I'm interested in what your American friend, I mean, not you know, it's not an informed perhaps, or your American friends made of the uh, the Bearstow dismissal. I'd be interested to hear what they have to say. Oh, yeah, they were just bemused by it, really. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they have varying degrees of um, knowledge of the game, depending on how interested they've been in it. A couple of them have lived in England for a while. Well, in baseball, you stand on the plate. you got to stand yeah. on the plate. You know, so it's, it's, it's a sort of similar thing. You can't just go wandering off without looking back. Basically, it's a, it's it's a it's something that's been in cricket for a long time. If you if you're a batsman, and the ball the ball gets through and gets to the keeper, you look back and see what the keeper is doing. And if the keeper is flicking the ball to the first slip or around a backward point or whoever is giving the ball, the ball is dead. And then you can go for a wander. So that sort of wraps that up, Jack. So hopefully uh, England will stop complaining about it. Did you see Jeffrey Boycott has called for Australia to apologise, Jack? Uh, well, I don't take much notice there. Anything Jeffrey says. <laughs> dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. And by the way, he's not a wife, Peter. That woman wasn't his wife. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, Bears, uh, he's absolutely lost at Boycott and, and he's not the only one. Uh, a there, lot there, of there was a very crazy. sad uh, video I saw the day of Ian Botham and Ian Chappell um, uh, confronting each other. Um, oh, there was a. I think Channel Nine ran this. I don't mm. I, look. I, I assiduously avoided it, but mm. this is this long-running feud mm. uh, between them. And I, I, I felt sad for both of them. I said it all, especially Chappelle. Actually, let it go. Ch- yeah, yeah. Can I tell you, I had a, had a beer with Tomo um, a, a couple of years ago now, a few years ago now, and, and he talked about that, 
this feud and it was like, just get over it, guys. Mm. I did see Tomo at Ward's there uh, and uh, he doesn't wear the tie, mate. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, have yeah. the, uh, um, the orange uh, and gold tie on. He just had he- the... Just had the pile. Just had the polo on. He, uh, I was uh, uh, a friend uh, was over there, and uh, Tomo charges five hundred quid to go into the box and um, uh, and I swear a lot for about half an hour or so. Um, <coughs> it's what he's good at. He was actually a hell of a good commentator, um, mm. and his uh, his stuff with uh, with uh, David Gow was often just uh, worth the price of admission just to just to watch him commentate a game. Hell of a good commentator. Hell of a good bloke, I can tell you that as we go. And that wraps it up for today. I hope we've resolved this terrible imbroglio before we have to send all the English Australians back home uh, and uh, end all uh, end all diplomatic relations with England. I think we've got to that point. Uh, and I, I think it needs to happen. But, yes, Jack, you've got something else for me? I have. Um, uh, from a, a Washington Post columnist, Megan McArdle, um, we could do a lot to reduce polarisation if highly selective colleges decided that time cards from your 15-hour service job counted higher than athletics, music, summer, academic programs or expensive service vacations, which is what they do. Um, they'll go and build a house in Thailand or something. Um, not to mention the fact that it would be objectively hilarious to watch upper-middle-class families competing to get their kid um, the most... Um, uh, 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 difficult job for a, for a teenager, um, which I thought was quite funny. And, and Richard Hines, you know Richard Hines, the yes. former sports journalist? Uh, yes. I think he's sort of semi-retired, isn't he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he has retired, yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is Richard Hines on Twitter. Oddly, uh, was asked my octogenarian opinion of Taylor Swift today. I don't think Richard's an octogenarian, but we'll, we'll, we'll allow him to do that. Um his response, never heard of him. Has he been on Countdown? <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Sad old man. Everyone knows who Tay-Tay is. I've got to say, though, Jack, um, because I've been talking to a number of people who have had, their ch- you know, basically going and they've had to go and buy, try and get tickets for for their uh, for their children um, because Taylor... Or, or they say they're for their children. No, no, basically Taylor's audience is 14-year-old girls and there's nothing wrong with that. She brings great joy to people. It's a wonderful thing. But the price of the tickets, mate, they, they were the, the B section, so obviously there's an A section and then there's a VIP section, but the B section tickets were, what was I hearing, uh, 700 each? Hmm. That's a chunky. lot of dough. And a lot of it's going to Taylor Swift and she is a wonderful entertainer and I don't begrudge her anything at all, but... That's a lot of dough for essentially a teenage market, uh, and maybe she should look at that. Foo Fighters, Jack, their tickets went on sale. They're about 180, I think, general admission, which is still pretty steep, but it ain't, you know, veering towards a grand just to go and see an artist. I think that's something that uh, uh, that the artists themselves need to have a bit of look at. They all make money from touring these days, not from the records that they sell, Jack. So maybe there's That's a problem correct. there. All right, we're just uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, we hope we've resolved the English in Broglio before we have to dispatch the palms back to the old dart, tell them to get on with life there. They've caused enough trouble around here as it is. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, I just want to thank you, Jack, for your attendance today and your contribution. 
Yes, apologies for the for the for the croaky, croaky throat. throat. But yeah, that's that's what happens when someone rudely shoves a tube down your throat uh, and into your esophagus. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners uh, to drop us a line if you've got any comments, criticisms, questions, etc. You can get hold of me for as long as I'm on Twitter. It may not be that much longer. On at Jack the Insider, and my DMs are open. Uh, or you can get hold of Jack on. On Substack, hongkongjack.substack.com. Yep, and that's probably not a bad place to go if you if you want to um, um, uh, uh, your page specifically. But uh, but I think a lot of people will be developing Substacks um, uh, because Twitter is genuinely looking like it's going to collapse. Uh, and uh, and of course, if you want to get hold of us, there is also the email, and that's the conditional release program at gmail.com. I believe I got a letter from people last week, which we dealt with. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so drop us a line, and uh, we'll be back next week to go through it all over again. Good on you, Jack. See you later, and see you, Cheers. listeners. <laughs>